Welcome to Bible study. It's good to have you with us again today. Thank you very much, Ulis, for uh, taking time and tuning in with us. This is Nick Rita, your host and the panel today. I would like to welcome each member and I will start with uh, Helen. How are you, Helen? Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. Yes, I feel fantastic and I'm really looking forward to the study today. All right. On the other side is Will there. How are you, Will? I'm well, and it's a privilege to be here. Thank you, Nick. Good to have you with us, Will. And uh, Ken, thank you for joining us also. Thank you, Nick. Always a pleasure to be here. Right. Lija next to me here. Thank you, Lija, for uh, being with us today. Yeah, very happy to be here. And Brenton is uh, with us also from Mount Gambier. Thank you, Brenton. Twice. Uh, first of all, joining us today, but also preparing uh, the Bible study and uh, facilitating this uh, program. Thank you very much for putting together this Bible study. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit will guide us in our study today. We have a quite uh, an interesting uh, study today about the difficult things in the Bible, how to approach them. I know uh, we came across them many times. Let's just pray to God that we'll have uh, a good insight, you know, and uh, understanding from this Bible study. But I would like to just hand it to you right now, um, Brenton. Thank you, uh, Nick. Dealing with difficult passages is our study for today. And I think it needs one thing needs to be said at the start. The whole of the Bible is not difficult to understand. There are portions of the Bible that are. But what is I find interesting, and I'm sure the panel will be able to share with us as we go through our study today, the problem today for me, often seems to be, as a minister, as I move around and talk to people, it's not the difficult passages that um, are causing them trouble. It's the, it's the plain passages of Scripture that enjoin them to give their hearts to the Lord, to forsake their sins. They're the things that the common people often have problems with, not so much the difficult things. However, today we are going to look at not only some principles of dealing with difficult passages, such as the need for prayer, the need for humility, etc. But we're also going to use a test case, a well-known story in the Bible, and examine it and see whether what is actually said here does it line up with the rest of what Scripture teaches. And if it doesn't, what, what is the lesson that we're trying to teach here? So without further ado, I would like to ask Will if he would pray for us and I'm asking that all of us will ask God to give us his Holy Spirit as we study this subject today. Dear Heavenly Father, we long for a deep understanding of your word, but uh, we found that so many things get in our way. Please lead us to appreciate what you have in store for us, for our spiritual advancement and uh, our ultimate salvation. Please uh, teach us today by the presence of your Spirit I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Will. I'm going to just quote you a quote, and then we're going to have a look at a Bible reference. When the word of God is opened without reverence and without prayer, when the thoughts and affections are not fixed on God or in harmony with his will, the mind is clouded with doubts, and in the very study of the Bible, scepticism strengthens. I don't know whether any of us have ever thought about that seriously, but it was a problem in Bible times and it's a problem today. And 
I'm going to ask us to have a look at 2 Peter 3, verse 15 and 16. While we're looking that one up, I will read a further comment. Those who desire to doubt will have plenty of room. God does not propose to remove all occasion for unbelief. He gives evidence which must be carefully investigated with a humble mind and a teachable spirit, and all should decide from the weight of evidence. Let's read 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Helen, I wondered if you could read those two verses, share with us, uh, and then as a panel we will look at it together and uh, get various comments on this text, because this is one of the few texts in Scripture where one Bible writer, talking about another Bible writer, says that the other Bible writer has some things that are difficult to understand. Okay, Second Peter 3, 15 and 16. Yes, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And it says here, And remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. I think it's it's interesting to know that by the time of Peter's writings, that Paul's letters already had a widespread reputation, and we need to notice that Peter spoke of Paul's letters as if they were on the level with other parts of scripture. But, you know, when you think of Paul and um, Peter, already the church of the day, they were thinking also that Paul's writings were inspired. And it's interesting to note that although Peter and Paul came from different backgrounds and um, personalities, and they did preach from different viewpoints, but they didn't contradict as some people believe. You know, when you look at the writings of Paul, he emphasised salvation by grace not law, while Peter preferred to talk about Christian life and service. And the two men didn't contradict each other, but they always held each other in high esteem. However, as we were reading in verse uh, 16, it was saying that the, literally the false teachers misinterpreted intentionally, they misused Paul's writings by distorting them to condone lawlessness. No doubt that made the teachers, the false teachers popular because people always like to have their favourite sins justified. However, the net effect was to totally destroy Paul's message. And Peter was warning his readers to avoid the mistakes of those wicked teachers by growing in special favour, if you like, in knowledge of Jesus. Mm. And the better we know Jesus, the less attractive false teaching will be. Thank you, Helen. Any other comments from our, our panel? The, the word for twist, they twist the scriptures or distort. The word twist, the Greek word is strebo, S-T-R-E-B-B-O, and it basically talks about someone being tortured. In other words, their limbs being stretched on the rack or something like that. In other words, what Peter is saying is that spiritually, if you twist the writings that Paul has written, you can come up with all sorts of conclusions and the end result is your personal destruction as far as salvation goes. Ken, you had a comment for us. Yes, I just thought that was an interesting point that Helen brought up about uh, Peter and Paul, that they, they both described uh, the event but from slightly different angles. And if you look at uh, situations today where there's some incident or something happens and there's a number of witnesses, and then later on these witnesses are interviewed by a place, as a general 
a way it goes that they will get different stories, but the main event will still be captured, but they will be receiving it from a different angle. Yes. Yes, good point, Ken. Will, did you have a comment on this at all? I think that um, twisting scripture, I can only think of how many hundreds of people have been turned away from truth or even coming to the Saviour as a result of the weird and shallow expositions of scripture from so-called uh, Bible students who extract their own private uh, doctrine from from the Bible, stretching it uh, and uh, striblu, as the Greek says it, yes. Yeah, thank you, Will. Nick, did uh, you have a comment? Twisting things. It's interesting that if you have a sincere heart and attitude towards the, the Bible, the Word of God, you, you wouldn't have that approach of twisting things around and try to make a different uh, you know, point of view. Uh, you'll search to see why that passage is put it in, into that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the more you will uh, you know, compare the Bible and study, as Ken just said, you know, uh, a case can be looked from different uh, angles, you know, but uh, in the end you keep, keep your mind on the on the main thing, you know, not just trying to say, aha, you know, I, I got something here. I can now work on it, this one, and make a, you know, a case of it. That's probably the most important thing, to be sincere when you come across difficult passages and to allow God. And if there is, there are times when you cannot even understand that one, that's not the end of the world, you know. I mean, you, you can move on and uh, at the right time, God will, will reveal to you. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Colin, and, and then Ken. Yeah, I, I agree with what Nick's saying. I think it comes down to the heart motives. These um, people in the time that we're talking about, they were out to destroy Paul and to justify their own sins, if you like. So I, I believe it It depends how you actually approach Scripture, absolutely, your yeah. heart motives. Yeah. You know, there was a statement that I read through the week. It said, It had been said that on our knees we literally look at difficulties from a new perspective. And I think there's a key there. You know, if we open Scripture without asking the Holy Spirit to lead us or if we come to Scripture and we just want to prove our own point um, or we want to use it against someone, that's not a good motive for coming to Scripture and you will go on the wrong track. Whereas if you invite the Holy Spirit in and and you said a word at at the beginning, um, Brenton, which I think is very important, humbly. humbly. We need to humbly approach Scripture, yeah. put aside our preconceived ideas, but ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. Yeah, the, the logical thing from humbly before we come to Ken is this. If you come humbly before Scripture, you've prayed, you've come to the Word with an open mind and asked God to guide you, and it is still not clear The next step really is lay the text aside. I know we're jumping a little bit in our study, but lay it aside because when our pioneers studied the word of God and came up with the beliefs that we believe, sometimes they came to passages of scripture where they said, we can't do any more. We can't go any further. And um, at that point, God would then reveal to them, maybe not directly straight away, but maybe further down the track, exactly what it was that he wanted them to know. Ken, you had a comment. 
Yeah, I was just uh, very similar, Brent, in what you just said. But the other, I think, important thing is when you come to look at any scripture in the Bible is not have a preconceived idea before you start. If you go in and you've got something already on your mind, you're going to try to either make it fit what you're thinking or, or somehow try to twist it around. You really need to have an open mind uh, and just, uh, as you said, uh, pr- pray for uh, guidance from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, thank you, Ken. One of the things, uh, in talking with a friend um, down here in the southeast, she uh, said to me, you know, when we go to church, she said, um, and I'm here not having um, a criticism of anyone directly, but I'm just reflecting the comment that she made. She said, um, this, the preacher will get up and read one text and make a whole sermon out of one text. Now, there is a danger there, I believe, because... Um, you can make one text say pretty well anything you like. This is why it is so important to compare scripture with scripture. And we're going to come to that in Second Timothy in a sec. Yeah, I think it's also important too. If we don't understand it, I agree with you. We look at other texts that the topic's speaking about and line them up. But I think it's also important. I, I didn't realise when I started studying Bible how important the context you know, when it was written, who it was written by and who it was written to and what is it really about. I think you've got to take all of that into consideration when you're coming across a difficult passage particularly. I think so. Can we turn to Second Timothy? We need to keep moving, but uh, I'd like to look at Second Timothy 2, 15 to 18. Here, Paul is, shall we say, on the front foot. He actually names people who are teaching false doctrine. And he actually tells you what the doctrine is. I wonder, Will, could you look up First Thessalonians four thirteen to fifteen, and we will cross-reference these two texts. The Second Timothy one. I wonder, Ken, if you could read that one. Second Timothy two fifteen to eighteen for us, please. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Shun profane and feign babblings, or they will increase on to more ungodliness. And their word will eat as does a canker, of whom is Hamenerus and Phyllis, who are concerning the truth have erred, saying that is the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Okay, thank you, Ken. That's a very important text. What do we learn from that? We learn that uh, Paul is naming names. Now, We are generally told these days, don't name names, don't uh, attach labels to churches or people or whatever. But here, the situation is so severe that Paul has found it necessary in, in writing to Timothy to warn him of these two men who are teaching false doctrine. What is the false doctrine they're teaching? That the resurrection has already taken place. Does Paul address this in another matter? Will's going to share with us from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 15. Yes, before I read it, I think that, uh, Renton, you know, one bad apple can affect an entire basket. Exactly. Not in time. And uh, their false doctrine and false teaching really affected the people badly. In fact, the Bible says that uh, in that piece that was just said, read, they overthrow the faith of some. Boy, I'd, hard, I'd hate to be responsible for something like that. First Thessalonians 4:13 to 15. Yes, what does Paul say, Will? About the resurrection, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those that have died, 
lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who fall asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Clearly, he's talking about a resurrection here only when Jesus comes. Thank you, Will. Any other comments on that one? Isn't that clear? Can you see that Hymenius and Philetus, as Ken read, are totally on the wrong track? But what what the effect of their false teaching has been is to destroy the faith of some. Do we still find that happen in 2020? Is that still applicable today? Mm. Yes, Helen. I thought it was interesting when I went to, um, I think it was 1 Timothy 120, which also mentions his Hymenius or however you say his name. And because it was affecting people's faith, Paul actually, it said there that he handed them over to Satan. Yeah. And I thought, whoa, that's a bit strong. But that really meant that he was removing them from the fellowship of the church. But he did this so they could see their error and repent. You know, yes. that was his, his motive there. But I thought when I went to 1 Thessalonians 4, that Paul was setting them right, saying that, that death is not the end of the story. But, of course, we have a great hope in the resurrection that hadn't already been. But he was really writing these words to challenge the believers to comfort and encourage one another. That's true. But can you see that by presenting false doctrine, not only destroy people's faith, faith in what? Faith in God's promises, faith in God's word. Remember what we've just read in Second Peter 3 is that Peter basically puts Paul's writings on the same level as the Old Testament and the revealed New Testament thus far. He says, as in other scriptures. In other Mm -hmm. words, it's on the same level. But then he gives this warning, and the warning seems to come through repeatedly. If you follow false doctrine, you will scuttle your religious faith. You will lose eternal life. Ken, you had your hand up. Yeah, I think something that's incredibly important about this, it's not just a matter of just destroying their faith. In many cases, it also destroys their hope of resurrection. They're lost. And I think that's what's incredibly important. Yeah. Nick, did you have a comment on that? Also, I would like to just point out to this, you know, from 2 Timothy, you know, we read the uh, verses from 15 to 18, but also if we consider right from the beginning, or or at least from uh, verse 10 to 15, to grab that uh, background, you know, uh, uh, first Mm -hmm. of all, in this passage is talking about to be a good soldier, for Christ. Now, a good soldier for Christ is not good only when they are victorious, only they are coming victorious out of the battle. But even when they they lose some battles, they are still good soldiers, are they? Otherwise, then uh, they will be charged for that, you know, uh, if they are not good soldiers. And that's what I'm trying to say here. Paul is um, encouraging uh, this young man to stay strong, to be strong, even if even himself doesn't have a clear understanding and about these things, about the resurrection. And, uh, and Paul is, uh, is then uh, talking to, to him nicely, you know, from verses um, 10 and particularly 11, you know. In, 11, in verse 11, he says, This is trustworthy, saying, If we die with him, we will also live with him. Uh, talking about the resurrection and about yes. Jesus. Yes. Uh, 
If he endures hardship, we will reign with him. If we uh, deny him, he will deny us. You know, he's talking a little bit, uh, opening a bit more to this young man, yes. uh, some issues there. People can be very good with their tongues, teachings, and can uh, impose some of the teachings which are not necessarily from the Bible, but they are very good speakers. We need to be careful on that and always come back to the Bible and compare uh, the Bible. Thank you, Nick. Uh, Helen? I think we've been admonished to do exactly that when they talked about the Bereans. They went back and checked to see whether those things were so. And I think it doesn't matter who is preaching um, or teaching. I think we do need to go back and check that we are on the right track. Yes, that's good. Now, 1 Timothy 2.15, I think we may have touched on it, but I'm going to read it. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. So when you are dividing scripture, here's an important principle. We are answerable to God if we are falsely presenting his word or twisting or distorting his word. We are responsible to God because he says here, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. What would that suggest to you? It would suggest to me that the person is rightly dividing the word of truth which is the exact words used. Now, the dividing means to cut straight ahead. In other words, present the truth of God without any embellishment. Now, where do we find further proof of this? You all remember that in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, it says anybody who adds to these things, I will take away his place out of the book of life. Anyone who detracts from it, I will add to him the seven last plagues. Now, it's that serious. Really, what we're talking about is the exegesis. Now, that is a big word, but it simply means to explain. Exegesis means to explain the word of God. In order to explain the word of God, we must do it prayerfully, carefully, humbly, and all of the things that we've discussed so far, we must come to it asking God to guide us. And as you said, Ken, earlier on, not with preconceived ideas, because if we study the Bible with preconceived ideas, it's really a waste of time. I don't know whether any of you have a comment on that. Brenton, I think that um, one must realize that this formidable text, and I'll call it a formidable text, the Scriptures, is an absolute minefield to those people that approach the Bible with an arrogant attitude and with uh, with a personal uh, interpretation on everything that they read. I think that there is safety in asking God or through his spirit to guide us and help us to understand the things that uh, we are reading. Uh, unfortunately, a single book has produced a myriad of winds of doctrine, and uh, then hence all the confusion in this world. God's spirit is the real answer to it all. And I would say that on a practical basis, understanding Scripture is uh, also gained by talking to others that you trust with the Scriptures yes. and a good Bible commentaries, but above all, to spend time, re read and reread, and prayerfully seek the meaning of those texts. Uh, only then will God give us a full understanding. Thank you, Will. Any other comments on that? Have any of us as a panel 
seen examples of people who have been led astray by twisting of doctrine and beliefs. Definitely, and uh, sometimes from uh, passages which, uh, if you really look more in depth, you know, and comparing, it will be so easy to come to a, the right conclusion. But because you just, uh, you know, take it out of context and just sit on one passage or uh, translation and whatever, because, you know, I am mindful of the fact that what are some of the possible reasons for apparent contradiction? And we can name even uh, translations. It's so easy to lose some of the meaning, you know, through through translations. Mm. And, uh, That's a good point, Nick. And we, we have to be mindful of that and, and always compare. And uh, because translation cannot be a mistake in all the passages in the Bible, the same mistake done, unless it's very intentional, you know. And there are also people who pull out things from the Bible or maybe add oh. some things just to fit their own uh, um, beliefs. Yeah, But, we have touched on that so far. Thank you, Nick, for that. Will, you uh, had a comment. Yes, you asked the question whether we actually have experienced or know of events or incidents where people are misled by, by false teaching. Um, we only have to refer back in history to the Jones massacre and the Waco tragedy yes. to realize that people in their masses could be misguided through, uh, through personal uh, interpretations of doctrine. Thank you, uh, Will. I'd like us to turn to 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 to 4, because this is what I call a challenge, and it's a challenge to us as a panel, and I believe it's a challenge to our listeners, particularly some of our listeners may indeed present the Word of God, whether it's from the pulpit, whether it's in a, a study group or whatever. I believe the counsel that Paul gives here is some of the best counsel you'll see anywhere in the Word of God. I wonder, Lydia, could you read uh, verse 1 to 4 for us, please? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who judged the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when man will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Thank you. I don't know how we as a panel see that, This is a pretty serious charge. She's actually saying to Timothy, you are going to be responsible. I'm giving you this charge before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Preach the word. Now, being instant in season and out and out of season, how would you interpret that? Helen, do you have a thought on that one? Well, I believe that we should always be ready to serve God in any situation, whether or not it is convenient. But at the same token, I believe we should be led by the Holy Spirit. There are times that we are to keep silent, but there are other times um, when we need to talk up. I do remember uh, just briefly an incident that I met a lady in the street and it was interesting. We exchanged dresses and I went to visit her and as soon as I got there, she made it very, very clear to me that she did not want to talk on the subject of religion. 
she didn't know my background, but that's what she came out with. And right. she said, I have my own beliefs. And she'd been visited by others. And so in my mind, I said, well, Lord, what am I going to, how am I going to bring you into this? So we went inside. We just talked about the pets she had and her neighbors and all sorts of things. And as we came out, she made another comment very similar to the first. But I felt the Holy Spirit was saying, give her your testimony. And I can remember in my head saying, did you not hear her? She doesn't want to, she doesn't want to listen to you today. And um, it's not good to argue with God, but there you go. And again, I heard, give her your testimony. And I said, you are not listening. <laughs> anyway, the third time I said, okay. So I said to her, I want to share you an incident that happened last week. It was about a girl trying to commit suicide. And I said, but I need to bring God into the story. Would you be happy for me to share it? She said, oh, yes. And then for the next while, it was something like an hour or so, we stood in the driveway of her home discussing um, why there was suffering in this world and about the Lord's coming. It was the most incredible experience. And I got into the car and I just said, that was a wow experience, Lord. That was a walking on water experience. I certainly, it was him working through me, not me. But I think there is a key there. We need to be walking in the spirit so that when the opportunities come, we don't shy away from it, but we be guided by him. I think the instant in season and outer season will, I noticed you, you had a comment, um, just responding, Helen, to what you said, I think uh, that simply means to be ready at all times to give your testimony. But yeah. I think in the context of what Paul is writing here, he's saying according to the word of God, you should have something suitable for every occasion and available to present for every occasion, whether it appears to be good time or a bad time. You thought it was a bad time. God thought it was a good time. Will, you had a comment. Yes, it's the verse 3 and 4 that uh, grabs my attention. Can you read verse uh, 3 and 4 again? Did you read it? Yeah. It says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Then verse 4, they will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. That worries me more than anything else. Without the guarantee or the protection of Scripture, our lives can go in absolutely every direction. Yes, indeed. Ken, you had a comment. Just going back again to preach the word, be in season, in season and out of season. I had an experience. I did share it uh, some time ago, but I'll share it again because I was really excited about it. I went into a uh, one of these uh, office supply shops to get an article that a friend had given me uh, about the uh, location had been found of the Dead Sea crossing. Um, during the time of the Egyptians, Jason Moses, and I had this large uh, piece of paper uh, with all this information on it, and I wanted some copies that I could share with people. And I handed it to the gentleman and said, is it possible to get this photocopied in colour? And he said, oh, yes, yeah, sure, just follow me. Anyway, I handed it to him and said, we're walking over to where the photocopiers were. And he looked at me because he was looking at it on the way over. And he said, could I ask you a favour? And I said, yeah, sure, what's that? He says, would you mind if I took a copy for himself? Well, anyway, that turned into us having a discussion about the Lord. And it turned out he was Catholic. And he said to me up front, he says, you know, we never read the Bible. And I says, yes, I understand that. My best friends are Catholic. 
And anyway, we, we had a really good uh, discussion about the Lord during it. So you just never know when these opportunities can present themselves. No, no, you don't. Uh, thank you, Ken, for sharing that with us. Any other comments on that before we move on? Just very quickly on, on the aspect of uh, in-season and out-of-season. Yes. Uh, this is, how to say, not just how you feel. For example, if you know, if you think that I must say this, I, I, I have to say it even if people are not uh, prepared to listen, you know, that doesn't mean that that's uh, in-season or out-of-season. No. But to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit when tells you to do something which what Helen just said yes. uh, that you are not prepared to to do. Uh, just remember, just yesterday I was um, sharing some uh, you know food uh, uh, parcels with the people in need, and while I was there, I had a you know a thought came. I just go and visit some people here who you haven't seen for a while. And I thought, oh, that's, this is not the right time. I'm doing something else now. I haven't organized this, you know. I haven't organized this to go and visit those people. But anyway, the thought was there. And I said, oh, yeah, okay, I'll give a call. And it was a most amazing time uh, with those people because as I rang them, organized to, to visit them, you know, just ad hoc like that, they rang another friend of them to come to their house just to meet us all and we have a Bible study together on the spot. We're not, not prepared for that. And it was amazing because going to the passages in Second uh, Timothy verse, uh, chapter 4, where uh, Will was just reading a bit earlier, when people are gathering around themselves, teachers which will teach things they like to hear, you know, mm. it was exactly on that subject. You know, uh, this group, was they were just listening to something on the Internet and they were oh, so in fire for what they were hearing and gave us a good opportunity to bring the Bible mm. to the table and say about those things, you know, how important it is not to be sidetracked, you know, by whatever influence compare things, you know, not to be just taken by the wave. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for sharing your testimonies on this, because this is really important stuff. It almost dovetails with our next uh, question. Do we always do this? I've put down, is this good counsel? Have you had an example in your life where a difficult passage became clear by waiting on the Lord? That is taking it a step further from what we've said so far, but can anyone share with us that they have found in the Word of God at times something that they found difficult, and by waiting on the Lord, they eventually found the answer that God wanted them to have? Is anyone able to share with us on that? I remember one really committed preacher saying that he wrestled and searched uh, for an understanding of a portion of Scripture for about six months, uh, he believed, before a profound truth became clear to him. Um, wrestling and struggling with a text is an experience that we've all had in our lives, but it's a very fruitful search. Can I take it one step further? Does that develop by having to spend time in wrestling with the Word of God and realising maybe for some of us that we don't know it all? What does that tell us? Doesn't that tell us that... Um, God is infinite and we are finite. Uh, therefore, um, we need to be very, very humble and persevere because if it is important, let's put it this way, if the passage of Scripture is important that we can't understand, surely God would have us to understand it. That means that in his own time, in his own way, he will reveal it to us. Does that make sense? Yes. I think that we actually see through a glass darkly, as Paul yes. said at the moment. 
I remember that Moses asked for a full revelation of God. He thought he wanted to see God, but God warned him that a full and sudden flood of the glory that came from him would consume Moses. Instead, the Almighty said, I will show you my goodness and let it pass before you, but I will have to shield you with my hand. No one can see my face and live. Moses uh, saw his back, but even that he saw, I think, in a filtered manner, protected by God. I think our approach to the full radiance of the glory of God in his word might bring us uh, truth, but uh, bit by bit, I believe, shade by shade, a year a little, there a little. But I think we need to search with open minds, asking him to help us with those passages. I agree. Thank you. Helen, were you going to make a thing? I was just going to add to that and say we must remember that there there are things in Scripture that we may not fully understand. As Will said, we see through a glass darkly. But I think there is a one thing that comes to my mind, and you said perseverance, patience. We need yes. to be patient God, and, and believe that God will reveal to us in time what he wants us to know. I mean, there's a text in Revelation uses the word that says, here is the patience of the saints. Yes. And I believe that, that that is something that we we, we should um, pray earnestly about. But I, I must admit that I can read scripture and then I can read a similar passage, you know, for many years. And then all of a sudden it's like a gem just pops out. And I think we've all experienced that probably. And it's like, wow, I didn't see that before. And as Will said, it's the light coming gradually. I think the Lord revealed everything to us, whoa, straight off. It'd be like coming out of a solitary confinement dark room and seeing this huge bright light. We would turn away. Yeah. And we're on, all on this journey, and I believe that he reveals as our hearts are open to him to receive. It's not so important what light we have. It's important what we do with the light that he gives to us. Isn't it a bit sad? I've found in my own life, sometimes you read a text. Now, I've been brought up as a Christian all my life, so I'm used to reading the Bible. But sometimes you read a text in Scripture that you have read ever since you were a child, and you think, hey, yeah, 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 I know what that means. And one day, the Holy Spirit reveals an entirely different slant on that text. Even the text that is best known in the Bible, John 3.16. Everybody says that it means a certain thing, but you can look at John 3.16 in several different ways. That's important. I think that's when you get those aha moments. When you read a text and you think, I've read this for the last 30 years, 40 years, or however long it's been, and I always thought it meant such and such. Now, for the first time, I realise there's a depth to it that I haven't seen before. Brent, just uh, a quick comment just on what you've said. That is so true. Over the years, I've read many things and believed them to say something, and then many years later or sometime later, there's another depth, another level to that saying, and again, you get more light comes onto it and a greater understanding. But what I was going to say was basically about the Bible, God has given us his word, and he's given us so much information in the Bible that anyone who studies it can only come to the conclusion that there is this amazing God in heaven, and he has laid out all these plans. However, God does not tell us every single thing because it clearly tells us that God wants his people to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, if we knew every single thing about God, where would our faith be? We wouldn't need to know anything. Well, that's a good point. Also, God would not be God. He would not be unsearchable, as the scripture says. 
Um, who can search the mind of God, I think Job said, didn't he, Will? Will, you had a comment for us. Yes, I think we need to learn to search for truth and meaning. Uh, like a miner digs deep into the earth to find yeah. precious metals. My dad was a miner. And uh, in, in the sense of uh, reading the Bible, we can expect to experience perplexity and questions along the way. And though requiring energy and persistence, I think our determined effort will bring us to the treasure that we seek after a while. We always must remember that truth is profound. It's deep, uh, discovered only by searching and healthy questioning. Yes. Isn't that not in our human nature that we always we want to see things or know things which we don't uh, know or don't see? And uh, instead of um, making the most of the things which we can see or understand and uh, work faithfully with God in those those things rather than uh, people are making their lives and they walk with God, their faith so difficult because they want to see beyond the the things which God revealed to them at that time. Rather than just accepting and obeying what has been revealed. Exactly. And, you know, uh, even um, today we're talking about how to approach, you know, difficult passages in the Bible. But even when we deal with difficult passages in the Bible, we have to deal with them honestly and carefully. We we can't just say so full of ourselves, this is the the way to interpret this thing. No, we have to be careful. We have to ac- accept sometimes that we don't understand yeah. there yeah. yet. And, uh, yeah, be very diligent. Yeah, thank you, Nick. I thought in uh, the time that we have remaining, we might look at a test case in the Bible, which is a very well-known story. I'm wondering, Will, whether you could read uh, Luke 16, 19 to 31. I know I've given you a fair bit there. If we can read that through, we can then pull it apart in the time that we've got remaining because it seems to present certain things that we find difficult to reconcile with other portions of the Bible. So we need to spend time looking at what else does the Word of God say as we compare this story. And it is a story. It's called The Rich Man and Lazarus. So I wondered if you could uh, read it for us. Thanks, Will. Yes, I'm reading Luke 16 from verse 19. There was a certain man, rich man, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which well fell from the man's rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, so it was that the beggar died and uh, was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your goods and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, and nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them that they also 
come to this place of lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. This is, for some, one of the most controversial um, sections in the Bible. Brenton, I think there's just so many stories really attached into this. So, to my mind, there's a couple that, that spring out to me. I'm sure, maybe I'm sure it'll be different to the panel, but firstly, that we can see here that there's going to be an afterlife of some description. Yeah. And for some people, this afterlife is going to be very good. For for others, unfortunately, it's not going to be good. And the other thing that springs out to me is the fact that irrespective if someone had died and came back to life again, presented themselves to people, there are people who still would not believe. And as uh, Luke's saying here in chapter 31, or sorry, as Jesus uh, uh, is speaking, um, that if they hear, uh, if they don't listen to the prophets and the people who have the word of God, they're not going to be persuaded with anything else. So their mind is already set up not to believe. Ken, uh, this is actually, there's, there's actually a comment in here. The very last verse is actually a prophecy. Christ is actually talking about himself. He said they're not going to be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead because if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, it won't matter what happened. But this, I believe, is not a historical narrative. It's a parable. It simply illustrates an important point. Helen, what do you get out of it? I think the first thing we need to ascertain, is it literal? Is it prophetic? You know, is it a parable? Is it symbolic? What is it? And how do we know? Well, I think as we go through and we break it down, Mm. they died. Okay, but the Bible in other points is very clear on about death. You know, the other Lazarus that Jesus raised, this is a different Lazarus, of course, but the other Lazarus, he said he is asleep. Yes. And it's very clear in the scripture, and Ecclesiastes brings it out too, that the dead know nothing. You know, we won't know anything until Jesus comes and wakes us up. So, number one, this isn't a literal story. It's not a true one. And it mentions about Abraham's bosom. But we believe that Abraham is asleep in the grave. Exactly. I I think it's also interesting to note the rich man didn't have a name, but the beggar did. But, you know, I think there are so many things that, You know, at the time when, when this parable was, was shared, the Jews thought that paradise was a place where the souls of good men remain from death to the resurrection. You know, they thought there was a paradise and there was a hell. And I think also the fact is that they, you know, saying that dip your finger in water, cool my tongue, I'm tormented. We've got to remember that Luke 16, 26 tells us that there is a great gulf fixed. There is no way that people in heaven could talk to the people in hell and vice versa. You with yeah. me? So, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm with you totally. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you're exegeting this. And the mere fact that this person was talking to start with tells me it cannot be a true story. It just cannot be a true story. Sure. But there are very important um, issues that Jesus back yeah. to them. Yes, um, it, that text ended, if they do not hear Moses or the prophets, neither will they persuade it though one rise from the dead. We must remember that uh, he actually gives the name of the beggar. He gives a name to the beggar. He, right. names, him, he names him Lazarus. 
Yeah, I find that interesting because he's about to raise someone called Lazarus from the dead. Yes, and Lazarus, even after four days in death, Lazarus had nothing to say to the Sadducees, uh, who doubted, by the way, that there is no destiny or reward after death. He had been absolutely nowhere but the grave in those four days. So it's the belief that five minutes after death uh, would find you in heaven or in the place of torment. Thank you. Nick, you had a comment? Just from this uh, parable, because that's how it's even, uh, you know, under the title of the the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which means it's not a true story. But two things I I really... What are they, Nick, that you... from, From there. First of all, the rich man insisting, insisting, please send to my family. And even though they were, they were given some, you know, reasons there, say, no, no, please just do that. They will listen if somebody will go from the dead. And the parallel with um, verse 31, which we'll just mention the last part, when Jesus said that the prophets, Moses and the prophets, spoke about Jesus and his ministry, and they're not listening, and even themselves said, give us a sign. You know, give us a, a sign of yourself. And Jesus is still teaching them, saying, look, have you haven't heard from the prophets, from Moses about me? Now, this is exactly the same there. He's trying to make a point here. Even, even if somebody comes out from the dead, if mm. don't know the scripture, if they, if they don't listen to the prophets and to, you know, what God was telling them, they yes. wouldn't believe, wouldn't make any good for them. I that think is. it's a very clear mm-hmm. lesson which Jesus is it's giving to them yeah. in this context. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Um, I'll just make a couple of brief comments as we move on and wind this up. First of all, there is no explicit reference to the soul or spirit of either man. The soul goes to heaven when you die. Why not? And then we had a, a quote here from Ecclesiastes 12.7, which says, the dust returns to the ground, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, in this parable, this spiritual story, you have a finger, you have an eye, you have parts of the human body, all of which scripture says of death decay and go back to nothing. So there's another reason why you cannot look at this as a literal historical story teaching strong spiritual truths, such as that there is an intermediate life between death and either heaven or hell, or anything else along those particular lines. That's that's one clear point. But let's keep going. The two men appear to be close enough to see each other with their eyes. Helen, you touched on that. And communicate. My question was, are heaven and hell that close, if, if this is a literal story? How would you feel knowing if you were in heaven, a loved one who you could see was in hell? Would you want to be there? Any comments on that? Yeah, definitely not. I mean, that's why uh, uh, most of the students of the Bible will uh, will understand that it's it's a, a bit of a allegory. I remember when I was a child, it was portrayed to me that thing, you know, that somebody may look from up there, and I was puzzled by that. And I said, oh, you know, I mean, how would they feel, yes. you know, to see us going through the struggles here? And later on, I understood that was not the case, you know. But at that time, yes, I believed that because that was in my mind, you know, with my experience but then grew up you know and uh, uh, interesting enough that we need to be determined to know the truth more and have patience to to get the truth to understand the truth not to just i want to know i want to know like a child yeah it's interesting dick Uh, can i ask you just quickly um 
what would your view of heaven have been at that particular time? Was heaven a place that you thought, felt that you'd really want to go to? As I said, uh, being a bit more, you know, in a, in my innocence, there, you know, I I thought, okay, that's uh, that's heaven there, but I could not understand how could they enjoy heaven yeah. there by seeing all the struggles going on on this earth, and yeah. and not to talk about even uh, when that will be eternal life forever and hell forever, you know, uh, 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 like some people are portraying, you know, that, that could be quite difficult anyway. Yeah. For all of those of us who've got loved ones and families, which would be the majority of people on the earth, we would not want to leave those families or we would not want to be somewhere if they were not there. Now, if it was the case that some of us are going to heaven, but the rest will never be there, we would not enjoy heaven, I believe. So the Bible clearly tells us in Revelation that when Jesus comes back to take his anointed people, we will be changed in an instant. Now, I personally believe, I'm not saying I'm right, but this is my thoughts, that our memories will be erased of many, many things, so we will not have to worry about things and painful things and yeah. other things that we would otherwise maybe be thinking about. And Ken, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, Isaiah talks about the form of things will not come to mind. I'm trying to think what the Hebrew word for it. It, it, it doesn't actually suggest that, that nobody will know anything anymore. It simply means that what has happened uh, will not bother us. It will not cause us any pain anymore. Helen, you had a comment. It just came to my thought then that we've been given the golden rule, haven't we? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we've got an example here where there's a, a poor man who just needed a few crumbs. And, and then the, the whole scene was reversed where the rich man, he just wanted some water to cool his tongue. You know, it was like they were swapped over. And I think there's a lesson here for us, you know, that we need to, while we're alive and while we're able, to do unto others as we would have them do to us. Walk in their shoes before it's too late. Thank you, Helen. I'm going to invite our panel to turn to Matthew 25, 31 and 32, which actually summarises what Christ himself said. We need to then compare that with what we've read in Luke 16, which we have determined from our discussion is a parable. It's t teaching certain spiritual lesson. The main spiritual lesson it's teaching is that this life is the preparation for the future life. There is no uh, further rewards once this life is over. What has happened in this life determines your eternal destiny. Jesus himself said it in Matthew 25, 31 and 32. I wonder if Lydia could read those uh, two verses for us. Thanks, Lydia. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. That's a good text. And then, of course, right back in the very last couple of verses in the Bible, we know Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly. And what else does he say? My reward is with me, which contradicts this story that we have read. What Jesus is doing here, guys, I believe, is using an illustration it was actually a story dating back to Egyptian time. He's using a, an illustration of an erroneous belief 
that they had to illustrate that the important issue for them was this life and the fact that even if someone rose from the dead, if they didn't believe Moses and the prophets, it was not going to make any difference. Even if there was a resurrection in their very midst that they could see, they still wouldn't believe. Just quickly to give a couple of verses in regard to this, what the Bible says, because we were saying earlier that we should compare Bible. And in Psalm 146, verse 4, for example, yeah, we read, when they breathe their last, they return to the earth, and all their plans die with them. Pretty clear, isn't it? It's very, very clear. Another one in Ecclesiastics, chapter 12, and verse 7, says... Uh, then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who give it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, and in many other passages in the Bible, in uh, Psalms and other parts of the Bible, says that the dead is asleep. It's yes, a rest. Yes. You are not conscious during yes. that time. And even the discussion in between the rich man and the Lazarus, that must be like a, a, a parable, as, yes. uh, as even the Bible puts it. Um, then we need to compare the Bible to come to a conclusion in regard to this aspect. For reading those two verses for us. Ken, you had a comment. Yes, just a quick comment, Brenton. What you said about when Jesus returns and his reward is with them, I think it's so critically important for people that are listening to realize that you only have one opportunity to come to God, and that is why you are alive. Once you die, you have no No other opportunity. You have missed the boat. Okay. Thank you, everybody. I wonder, Nick, if um, I appreciate the uh, comments of the panel today. I believe we have studied God's Word prayerfully and carefully. Uh, We don't know it all, and we recognize that what has been revealed to us is vitally important for us to not only understand, but to be willing to follow. I wonder, Nick, if you would close with prayer for us, please. Yes, our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us and for your care for us, that you help us, Lord, to understand even the difficult passages in the Bible when we put our heart to know you. And when we allow you to work in our lives, at the right time, things to be revealed to us. And I pray that you'll uh, bless us as we are um, considering these uh, thoughts today. If, if we are coming across some difficult passages, Lord, let not be discouraged. Let not be, come to the conclusions of uh, thinking that those are just errors in the Bible and the Bible must not be true. But help us, Lord, to... Give the Bible even a more prominent understanding and uh, to be able to live this life very confident that you are the one who take care of all the things in our life. I pray that you'll be with us all as we are uh, considering these things and your Holy Spirit will bless us and help us to understand the things you want us to know in Jesus' name. Amen.